0: So about 1,700 years ago, St. Augustine, uh, you might have heard of him, St. Augustine of Hippo, um, in living in North Africa, he famously wrote, you have, made, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And a, and a few hundred years before that, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Rest. Rest is one of the most amazing invitations and, and promises of God. And yet, it can be a real struggle to enter into. The struggle is real, as John Mark Comer would say. It can be a real struggle to enter into. Um, rest and peace, We we often say when someone dies, when someone passes away. But we long for rest and peace now, eh? Rest and peace while we, while before we pass away, All right? Wouldn't it be quite nice if you kind of like say goodbye? You know, you know, instead of saying "see you later," we say "rest and peace," but we don't actually mean <laughs> no, we don't <laughs> we don't mean die. We mean but rest and peace. Have a rest and peace. We long for rest. And at the, I mean, I I I think it's quite funny that we put on people's gravestones "R.I.P." Hey, anyway, it's just like a. Yeah. What about us? Anyway, we long for rest, and at the same time, um, at the same, so we long for this rest. But at the same time, we a lot of us, at least, ha- have a desire to, to do something, like to, to make a, to make a difference, uh, to make a positive difference in the world, or or to make sure that our days actually count for something. So we're not. We don't want to kind of laze around and um, and do and do nothing. We want to do something, but we also want rest. We want these two things at the same time. Ephesians two ten says we we are created. We are created in Jesus Christ for good works. We are created in Jesus Christ for good works. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus for good works. So these two things, rest and and rest and good works, they, they sometimes seem like opposites. Like there are two ends of the scale, like you have a rest and then you do a good work or something like that. Like you can't do the, both those things at the same time. But, but I suspect, what I think is that Jesus', Jesus invitation, you know, where he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. And at the same time, this invitation towards uh, doing good works, Jesus brings these together, and and rather than them actually being opposites, there's there's a synergy when they come together, and it reaches into our uh, into our design and our and our purpose. Rest and rest and good works, or rest and fruit. Jesus uses a picture to describe a flourishing and abundant life, and, it, and it's a picture of a vineyard, a vineyard, which is where um, some of that imagery comes from. So. Do you ever wonder why we are called a vineyard? Why we're called a vineyard church? Why we're called a vineyard? No, you all got it sorted. Uh, well, I do. I wonder about it quite a lot. And um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, the be- what's the deal with the vineyard? Sometimes, you know, when, when I tell people that I go to Capital Vineyard Church, they, they'll say, "Oh, oh, do you drink lots of wine? Do you ever have that?" You say, "People, well, I go to Vineyard," and they go, "Oh, do you drink lots of wine there?" They go, "Well, sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, not lots, but sometimes we have wine." Um, and, and so there's the simple answer, and that's you know we're we're part of the Vineyard Churches in New Zealand, and part of the Vineyard Churches, you know, international. And that's that's like, like like our family name, like uh, like James Beatty. Beatty's my family name, or Vineyards our family name. Um, but the longer answer goes right back to the beginnings of the Vineyard Churches in California in 1974, and there was a man uh, that you that you might have heard of. His name was Ken Gullickson. And uh, and he'd been associate he'd been associate pastor in the Calvary Chapel church. So if you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie, uh, one of the main settings is the is Calvary Chapel church. And um, I forgot what was, Costa Costa Mesa was. I can't remember Calvary Chapel church. And um, anyway, Ken Gallixon he, he wanted to reach people. Uh, spec- he wanted to especially reach people that were in the entertainment industry around Los Angeles. He had this like this vision in his heart to, to reach people in the entertainment um, industry. And, and so he began running I think this is quite funny. So you want to reach people in the entertainment industry. So what he began doing was having Friday night bubble studies. Because that's how you reach people. <laughs> you have a Bible study. <laughs> I think that's quite funny, but but people came and they people came in droves. And you know, this, God was doing a special God was doing a special thing in that time. But also, this guy Ken Gullickson. It, you, you can find these interviews with him. He's like the the most um, the most uh, I don't know gentle, humble man. Uh, and and he's not like he's not like real. Doesn't seem like really really outgoing or really like charismatic in the sense of. Uh, um, I don't know, um, uh, being outgoing, but just quite laid back, but he, but he has a real heart for God. And so he began running his Friday night Bible, Friday night Bible studies back in 1974. And uh, I think one of the first ones was near, was near Beverly, Beverly Hills. And uh, they grew and they multiplied and lots of people started coming to know Jesus and learning more about him through the Bible. In fact, there were some well-known people that became, came to faith and, that, and through vineyard churches or through um, through these Friday night Bible studies at the time, uh, Bob Dylan, who you might have heard of, he came, he came to faith here, Keith Green is another one that you might have heard of. And so they grew and they multiplied, and, and uh, lots of people were coming to know Jesus and then, and then one day someone said to Ken, um, what, "What is this thing called?" And Ken hadn't really thought about it. they'd just been calling it a Friday night. Bible study because that's what they're doing. But he felt like the Holy Spirit just said him, "Call it the Vineyard, call it the Vineyard." And so that's what he said, without you know, without even you know, without even thinking about it too much. The Holy Spirit says in that moment, "Call it the Vineyard." So he says to the guy, "The Vineyard," and and it just really, really caught on. And so all these groups, all these Friday night Bible studies, they they adopted this name. Yeah, we're the Vineyard. We're the Vineyard. And uh, and so about a year later, they became the Vineyard Christian Vineyard Christian Fellowships. Vineyard Christian Fellowships. And then, um, anyway, so you can kind of like find out more and more about, about the story. And it's just an amazing way of God, kind of God moving in there, in this place. And, and, and that's part of the story. So we go back to that point, 1974, but, but the vineyard, um, there's a bit more to this, to this word vineyard. Vineyards are these really important and interesting word pictures or symbols, metaphors in the Bible, They speak of the relationship of God and his people. So God and and us. The prophet Isaiah said this. (laughs) Yes, not that one. That one. Prophet Isaiah said, Now I will sing for the one I love. Now I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. On a rich and fertile hill, he ploughed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower. He carved a winepress in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. It's in Isaiah 5. And we find out a few verses later that the vineyard is the nation of Israel. And the Lord you know, this, this prophecy speaks of how the Lord planted them and, and he expected that they would produce sweet grapes, sweet grapes of justice and, and righteousness. But instead he found, he found when, he, when he looked at the vineyard, oppression and violence. So instead of sweet grapes, there was oppression and violence. And, and this prophetic song in Isaiah, it's, it's a warning to the people of Israel. They're saying, you're not living up to the calling that God has for you. Yeah, the calling calling was simple. Micah, and Micah it says, um, the calling is simply uh, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God, to do what is right, to love mercy and walk humbly with God. However, these people, as a nation, they didn't walk with God. Some of them did, but as a nation, they didn't. They didn't love mercy. They didn't do what was right. And so, this, this prophecy is, is sort of like quite a negative, quite a negative one. And, uh, and you kind of read it and you go, oh, that's the end of the vineyard. But it isn't the end of the vineyard. Jesus has different ideas. And he takes this picture of the vineyard and he, and he builds on it in John 15. John 15 is one of my most favouritest chapters in, in the Bible. And he says this, I am the true grapevine. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Isaiah had, had prophetically announced that, uh, that Israel was a, was a failed vineyard. They didn't live up to the hope and the expectation of God. But Je- but Jesus turns it around and he says, "I am the true vine." Though so where Israel had failed, Jesus succeeds, and we see we see this through the through the gospels that uh, all, all the time that Jesus Jesus in himself is like the is like the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be. Jesus turns it around and says, "I am the true vine. I am the vine. You are the branches." Jesus says, "We are the branches that connect to the true vine through the." To the true vine of Jesus, we uh, we are grafted in. We we are drawing from His life and bearing good fruit, because the purpose of the vineyard is still producing producing fruit. But Jesus says that the only way that we can bear fruit is if we remain in Him. The only way, He says, apart from apart from Me, apart from Him, we can do nothing. <laughs> You, know, you don't have to be a biologist to know that if you chop a branch of a vineyard, uh, eventually it will die and it will produce no more grapes. The branch can only produce grapes when it's attached to the vine. And, it, and it's the same for us. If we become separated from Jesus, if we become detached from him, living apart from him, then we can't be a fruit. Even if we really, really, really want to, <laughs> we still can't. So he says this thing: he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. And. And this word remain is, is so critical if we're going to understand how to, how to enter into the rest um, that Jesus promises. Enter into the rest as well as doing the good works that we're designed for, the fruit. Rest and fruit, they come together in this. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you, it says in some other translations. Uh, the, Greek, the Greek word for, for remain or abide is uh, "mini mene. And like a lot of Greek words, it's, it's multifaceted. It has like these different layers of meaning. To, to remain, to abide, to be, to be present, to be held, to be held continually, to endure, to survive. Uh, the, the general sense is a really deep, a really deep close connection with Jesus being tightly attached to him. An ongoing, intimate relationship. A bond that is vital. A bond that is life-giving. We, we receive life from the vine and that life overflows from the vine through the branches to others, right? Fruit is a sign of life. So separation from the vine, separation from Jesus leads to death. But remaining in Jesus, remaining and abiding in Jesus is, is the way of life. It's And it's an active thing. It's continuous. Uh, the, the word abide, um, also people sometimes use it in the sense of like living somewhere. It's a place where you live or you stay somewhere. And... Um, like I've talked about it before this year but many of you already know we're doing um, another um, renovation and extension on our house it's ongoing uh, keeps going on and on and on so we're into renovation number three adding another room we're adding a bedroom and we're also renovating a, um, a current bedroom but when our, when our house was first first built back in 1918 it was a tiny little house it was about 40 or 50 square metres which is small and then um, sometime in the 1960s, the uh, people decided they were going to build another bedroom onto the front of it, and, and so they did that. And then um, the people that owned it before us, they, they built a little bit more onto it. They built a, a, built a conservatory onto it. And, and so when we moved in eight years ago, it was 70 square metres. So it went from 50 to 70 square metres. And then, and then we've, got, and we've gone a bit crazy, and so since then we've added another 55 square metres. So actually more than doubled what it was to, when we started with it, when it was first built. So now it's 125 square metres. And it's still the same house, uh, it's just bigger and better. <laughs> and it seats us more. And it's hard to tell where the, where the, old, house, where the old house ends and, and, then the, and the new begins. And the new parts begin. They link into each other. And when we're living there, we don't think about, oh, that's the old part of the house and that's the new part of the house. We just live in it. It's one house, one big house. And, and I was thinking about how, um, how this is, I mean, the, with the vine, the vineyard is a metaphor. And so this house, our house is a metaphor for a metaphor. Uh, right, that's going to spin your head out a little bit, eh? But anyway, I was thinking about how, how our house is a bit like the vine. The, how the, um, the old part of the house is a bit like, bit like um a bit like the vine of Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus is the old house, okay? <laughs> so this is where my metaphor falls over. But the old part of the house is a bit like the vine, and the new parts are a bit like the branches, like getting added, getting added onto it. So you have, you have new rooms that then are getting attached to the, old, to the old house, but all becoming one house. Is that making sense? It made sense to me anyway. <laughs> and I've got like ages to explain it. Uh, No, anyway, as I was thinking about it, it just struck me one of the one of the parts that's been um, a little bit distressing as we've been building is is the damage that we've got to do to the old house. That we've got to remove walls and we've got and and floors and and everything. We've got to open it right up to to better add the new parts onto the house. It's quite it's quite distressing actually and tiring, Um, but. It struck me how how the you know the old house had to be opened up, it had to be damaged in a way to allow us to build the new parts, to connect the new rooms and to make it one. Otherwise you'd have this <laughs> you'd have this room on its own, it wouldn't be attached, you wouldn't even be able to get into it, right? It had to make it one. And, uh, and sometimes Tesla and I we we sort of um, we nervously wonder what the previous owners would think if they came up to our house and and there, what have you done to our house? <laughs> you know, where's our house? <laughs> we made it better. But I was thinking about it. I was going, well, Jesus is, Jesus is the vine. And Jesus is the vine who was, who was literally opened up. He was damaged. He was damaged on the cross. He was killed for us so that, so that we, these branches from all over the place, could be, could be actually added into him, to be attached to him. Like so, so closely that we would actually become one with him, like our house is one. Isn't that amazing? And this invitation is, is for everybody. He invites everyone, all of us, to receive eternal life through, through this death-defying connection to Him. And this block of teaching in, um, in John 15, uh, it, it comes at a really, really critical um, moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the week leading up to His crucifixion. He's having dinner with his with his closest followers, the twelve disciples, and he's preparing them for what's to come. not he's not just preparing them for when he dies, uh, you know, in those few days. Then, and but he's also preparing themselves when he ascends and when he goes to heaven. And he and he promises the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and he says, "I'm I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans." And so, a bit earlier in, in John fourteen sixteen, he makes this makes this promise. He says. I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognise Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and will later be in you. Because He lives with you now and will later be in you. The Holy Spirit is, is with us and in us. In Acts, we see how the Holy Spirit descended upon the the early believers and filled them. We celebrated Pentecost Sunday just two to only two weeks ago. It feels like so much longer. Well, it was. It was two thousand years ago, anyway. But He descended upon the Holy Spirit descended upon the early believers and filled them. So He's both outside. He's both outside and inside. The Holy Spirit enables what Jesus instructed when He said, "Remain in Me." And I will remain in you. I don't think this makes sense apart from by the Holy Spirit, apart from spiritually. Remain in me and I in you. Remain in me. Remain in me and I will remind you. We, we can live we can live drawing on the Holy Spirit who surrounds us. And at the same time, have the Holy Spirit living within us. I mean, when we come and gather, it's a strange, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Like we, if we, if we are born again, if we're believers in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is in us. And yet, when we when we gather with other with other believers, He's also here in His mercy, like with, with us as, as a people. Somehow outside us and somehow inside us, with the Holy Spirit living in us and transforming us from deep within. So, Acts seventeen twenty eight. Uh, this is Peter, Peter or Paul, actually Paul speaking to people, and he said, in Him we live, we move, and, and have our being. Or in the NLT, for in, in Him we live and move and exist. And at the same time as Romans 8, 9, which is just an example, there's loads of them, which says, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So we, we can remain in Him, and he remains in us <laughs> on thursday on Thursday, I was um, on my way home from um, from my other job at victoria university and, and I was feeling a bit tired at the end of the day and I, and I was thinking that i'd oh, when I go home and once the kids are in bed, I just want to chill out I just want to relax oh i don 't know i 'd probably find something on telly to watch or something like that uh, I, and i didn 't want to do i didn 't want to do um, any church work, and I had a whole stack of church work to do, and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> one of the things I had to do was write a sermon. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite topics, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I didn't want to do it. And then, so, you know, I'm walking down, walking down the terrace, and I began thinking about this word en- enthusiastic and, and enthuse because I just found out like a day or two before, uh, I think it was yeah, Wednesday, Tuesday Wednesday, that the word enthuse comes from a, a Greek word. I'm into my Greek sometimes, uh, not often, but anyway, um it comes from a Greek word, um, entheos, which literally means to be divinely inspired, filled by God. You, I don't know if you knew that already, but when you say someone's enthusiastic, then you're kind of in a way saying, you're filled with God. Or what about overly enthusiastic? You hear that all the time. Who's overly enthusiastic today? <laughs> 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 it's <James. laughs> It's Joe. <James. laughs> Me and you, bro. Uh, anyway... Um, Everyone else will catch up. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to enthusiast you. <laughs> no. But this word is quite cool anyway. So entheos, to be like div- divinely inspired. And so they would use it, to, especially of like a- actors and actresses and things like that. They'd go, oh, you know, you're enthusiastic. But it literally has this meaning, divinely inspired. It's cool. I was not feeling enthusiastic when I was walking home from work on Thursday. On Thursday. I was not feeling divinely inspired. Anyway, I was thinking about this word. And then, uh, and I thought that's quite similar to another word, inspire, which we've talked about before, and probably was probably this year. But man, my mind is um is like mud. Anyway, it was inspired, which which has a similar meaning. You know, to be to be filled with the breath of God, to be filled with the spirit of God. Inspire. And so I was thinking about this. I thought that's quite nice. And then this bus goes past with the words on the back: "Be inspired." (laughs) Have you seen it? It's an ad for the New Zealand uh, art show, which is on at the moment. Be inspired! Oh God, that's quite funny, right? That's quite funny. What a coincidence! <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But then, I, you know, I took it as a message from God. God arranged for that bus to go past me on the terrace. <laughs> he sent a bus to remind me to draw on Him, to be filled with Him, to remain in Him. So I'm walking down the terrace, thinking, "Oh, that's quite nice. I didn't feel any different." <laughs> But I knew I could. I knew I could, like, draw on him and go. Well, Jesus, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to preach out of a out of an empty tank. I want, to, I want to speak from from your inspiration. Because Jesus, hang on, you said that apart from you, I could do nothing good. So I want to I want to be attached to you so that I can actually do something good. Otherwise, all this preaching that we do, week after week after week, it's for nothing. We want to do good stuff for him. So anyway, I began like that. Was quite cool. That was quite a cool encouragement. Thanks for that bus, God. Be inspired. So, but when we look at the um, when we look at the early believers in Acts, you know, the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, in their upstairs room. And then they flooded out from that place into the streets and began witnessing, you know, Jesus, telling people the good news about Jesus. And they formed a community and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they devoted themselves to fellowship and shared meals. They had loads and loads of potlucks, bring a plate, you know, And they had, uh, and they they were praying all the time. And and it says this deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles were off doing miraculous signs and wonders, and people being healed and set free. It was just amazing. They were filled with joy and generosity. They shared everything they had, worshiping the Lord. They deeply loved the Lord. They deeply loved others. They worshiped together at the temple every day. And I read that and go, man, that's exhausting. That sounds like a whole lot of hard work. I'd rather skip over that chapter, God. I want to be filled with the Spirit and, and not do all the other stuff. It's a lot of hard work, isn't it? It's so much harder than writing a sermon on a Thursday night. Imagine going to church every day. Oh, I do, but you don't. But no. <laughs> no, I don't really. I go Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Anyway, that sounds like a whole lot of hard work. Well, imagine having shared dinners with, with, with all of us every day. <laughs> Some of you would love it. I'm not one of you. <laughs> I'm not one of them. <laughs> because without the Spirit of God, it is hard work. It is hard work. Human effort, will, human effort gets exhausting. You know, I've been really confronted by, by what Paul says in Galatians. He's writing to the church in, in, uh, in Galatia. The Christian's there. And so put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you're a Christian and you're, you know, you're hearing this message from the Apostle Paul and he says to them, he goes at the start, he goes, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> you foolish Wellingtonians, right? And he can, 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 continues, this is Galatians 3. I might have it on a slide even. No, I don't. Galatians 3, 3. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You foolish Galatians. You know, the way of, the way of Jesus is, is a lot of hard work and actually it's impossible without being connected to the life of Jesus. L- later in Galatians, he, you know, like after telling them off, he then encourages them and he says this, you know, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. It's Galatians 5.25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every, every part of our lives. And that's how it worked for the early believers. The Holy Spirit was on them, the Holy Spirit was in them, and the Holy Spirit worked through them. There was, there was, a, there was a, a supernaturally natural overflow. F- the fruit came from the Spirit, and, and they changed the world forever. <laughs> Thousands of people heard about Jesus and believed in them as the risen Lord that very, that very first day. It so says 3,000 people. There were only 120 to start with. And then there were 3,120. The scriptures that we have, it says he's a, he's a God-breathed, inspired by God. We wouldn't have the scriptures if it wasn't for these people who believed in him and then told others about him and were like like bearing this good fruit. That's quite cool, eh? Our Bibles are some of the good fruit that they, that they, um, that they produced. Though we want to be we want to be people who are learning what it means to remain in God, to remain in the vine and produce fruit that naturally overflows from that, from that intimate, loving, deep, ongoing, intentional connection. And, and I think this is, where, this is where true rest actually comes from. Because the rest that I think that Jesus is talking about when He, when he, when he says, I like, come to me if you're weary. I think He's talking about a, a spiritual rest, like a deep rest. It's like a heart rest. There's something in here. And it's also the place where the fruit comes from, the the genuine, life-changing, world-changing fruit. How cool is that? That's awesome. It means we can be like resting and producing good fruit all at the same time. So so what do we do? We need a strategy, guys. We need a strategy. What do we do? Here's, Here's some ideas I've got. This, this sense of, of, of remaining, it's, it's a continual, it's an ongoing, it's, it's regular, it's frequent. Jesus, Jesus is, is a person, He's the most wonderful, powerful, brilliant person ever who loves us and he, and he wants to be with us. As I read that scripture at the start from Colossians, which uh, in my Bible has the heading, you know, uh, Christ supreme or the supremacy of Christ. He is supreme. And He loves us and He wants to be with us. And, and so we, we can respond to that and we can go, well, well Jesus, I want to remain in You. And when I, need to, I need to immerse myself. And we need to immerse ourselves in Jesus and His words, which actually means reading His words and thinking about His words and talking about His words. You know, praying. I really loved uh, last week, uh, Nick Tate, he had, he had a word for Abby. And he, and, he, and he said to Abby, oh, um, "I think it was this: like sometimes you think, of, sometimes you think about God, and you wonder if that could be prayer. Isn't that amazing? So you know, sometimes we think that prayer is is, is talk, talk, talk. We talk, talk, talk to Jesus, and sometimes we do, sometimes that's prayer. Sometimes it's talking. But what about the other part of it? Like like listening." <laughs> listening to Him, thinking about Him, like, like simply reading the Bible, contemplating Jesus' words in the Gospels. In, in, uh, in this version of the Bible, this is an NLT, and it's got Jesus' words in red. Ah, oh, that's awesome. That means I can like scan through and just read Jesus' Jesus's words, the red-letter words. But it's quite good to have the black bits too because that's all context. <laughs> you need that. <laughs> Listening to him, <clears throat> uh, and th- and this means like remaining in Jesus. There's an intentionality to this. I think there's the uh, we need to we need to re- remember that we need to choose Jesus over other things. I've been I've been discovering recently how um, how the simple act of being silent uh, can be can be incredibly profound. Like setting aside time to uh, to allow Jesus to speak to me, or simply give my head a bit of a break from inputs. I um, I first got a Walkman when I was um, ten, I think, ten or eleven. Nicholas got one first, and then I wanted one too and so since then, since I was about 10 or 11 like whenever I've been like, like catching a bus or uh, you know, go, at that time like going, going to school and then going to work or whatever it was I'd always be like listening to, you know, uh, Walkmans if you don't know how do you explain that? well it's this machine, you put a tape in it but a tape if you don't know, it's oh my goodness hey, uh, what's another example? it's basically an old fashioned version of your phone of an iPod, yeah there we go I didn't even think that. I need to explain it. (laughs) Uh, And eventually I graduated from having a Walkman to having a Discman. And who remembers Discman? And who remembers when they came along with the shock protection? That was awesome. Actually, going back to Walkmans, who remembers when they came with auto reverse? You didn't have to take the tape out and change sides. (laughs) Oh, man. We're getting too old. Anyway, I am. Anyway, the... So you know, so I listen to music all the time, listening to music. And, and so go, I'm i um, 45 now. And so I've been like listening every time I'm out and about, listening, put my headphones on, listen to music. That's, that's more than 30 years of listening to music. I still remember my first tape. It was this Christian band called Silverwind. You've never heard of them. They were great. Uh, anyway, um, but I'd always got this constant input, and then um, the last last year I was having a conversation with somebody, and I suddenly thought about, wonder what it would be like to to actually just not to listen to anything. And I'm a big fan listening to podcasts, preaching podcasts, everything, eh? And I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to experiment with it. And to start with, it was really really hard, just you know walking to walking to work or catching the train and just not listening to anything. But then, like, I gradually discovered that it was actually it gave my head a bit of a rest. It was quite nice. All of a sudden, I was more accessible. Um, To to what God is doing, like I'm able to kind of think about what are you doing in this space God or if people want to talk to me like sometimes strangers want to talk to you maybe when you have headphones on people don't want to talk to you so I took it off and and sometimes people will talk to me but it was more just like oh this is a chance where I can actually like rest in God, remain in God silence, so silence can be silence can be no noise but I think you know, for us in Wellington, that's, uh, that's hard to find places with no noise. But I think often the kind of silence I'm talking about is actually just just like not having a bit of input for a while, going, okay, maybe 30 minutes, whatever it is, a bus ride, 15 minutes if you're on a train. Oh, yeah. So this uh, coming Saturday, we've got a, we're going to have a, um, a time of worship and prayer, and we've called it Thin Place. Uh, with the idea of you know, just coming, in, coming into this place together we can experience the Lord together. It's a time of, uh, of worship and of uh, like, like remaining in Him and we can do that together. I'm gonna be there, I know Stu's gonna be there and just whoever wants to come along, we kind of got no, no expectations other than to, to worship God but this could be like a real beautiful time to, to rest in Him, to hear what He's saying, to pray for each other if that's what happens and I'm hoping that this will become like a, like a, regular, a regular thing like a monthly thing, thin place. Seeking Him first, remaining in Him is about, remaining in Him is about the orientation and the priority of our hearts. And I think sometimes that, that um, even, as, even as Christians, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we, we need to really evaluate, are, are we still prioritizing Jesus? Are we really prioritising Jesus? Do you, I find that God always has a habit of, like, like speaking to speaking to places where I'm actually like have packed them off to the side or have uh, lowered them down from um, from where he should be in my life, like the highest, taking the highest place. Do we prioritise Jesus? And, and as we prioritise as, as we prioritise Jesus, and we prioritise what he says, and we discover what he wants us to do and, and how he wants us to live, and we can we can begin taking steps of obedience uh, and with him. Because remember remember this whole thing of like remaining in him, like connect, staying connected to him? You might picture like holding on to him, like you like learn something about what Jesus wants and, uh, and, and you go, oh Jesus, I'm a bit scared to do this or um, it seems a bit hard. And so you can go, oh Jesus, give me strength for that. And you're like actually literally holding his hand and letting him take the lead, like doing the things that please God and not doing the things that don't please God. Uh, I've kind of already mentioned it, but, but fellowshipping with Christians, fellowshipping with others, fellowshipping with other Christians and being part of a church is also really key. Uh, the, the, vineyard, the, uh, the vineyard, the the metaphor of the vineyard, um, it's, it's connected vines and branches. We're not called to somehow live this life connected to Jesus, but disconnected from other Christians. That would be too hard. We're not designed to do that. And he, but even, you know, there's something, something incredibly important about being, being in fellowship with other believers. And I think we would be wise to make this part of our strategy if we're going, okay, Jesus, I want to I remain in you, I want to remain in the vine, um, I want to be a good fruit we would be wise to make this part of our strategy of remaining in Jesus, like fellowshipping, regular fellowship with other, with other Christians. Uh, we're not too bad. Well, look around. We're all right. Invite your friends. <laughs> we had coffee, not today. <laughs> yeah, bad news. The espresso machine's broken. Oh, I never mind. Lots of plunges after church today. The Church is the body of Jesus together we are his temple. We are the dwelling place of God on earth. so when we dwell together when we, when we come in fellowship together we 're actually like dwelling in the presence of God and often i don 't know like that doesn 't mean you 're going to feel something every week you know you might not in fact um, you know I think there 's something spiritual and there 's something supernatural about, about our gathering that we actually might not not feel, but sort of over time there's like this there's like this this Bless you, Stu. (laughs) There's there's this thing that happens. There's this protection that happens. And this building up that happens. And it happens when we gather. And it's been amazing to me. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like uh, like over the last month or the last couple of months, that in our gatherings, when we come together as a church family, the Holy Spirit has been moving in our moving in our midst in a in a, in a new way. It feels like new to me. It feels fresh, and it's and it's really hard to put it into words. And I don't want to hype anything up and go, "Oh, this is a this is a new day, we're in a new season, guys." It just seems like it seems like God is God is kind of like he's he's enticing us, and and uh, and you might feel it too. But I, I've been finding when I when I come together, I'm like I, I have this expectation in my heart. Okay. God, I'm, I'm with other. I'm with my church family this morning. Like, what are you, what are you doing in this place today? We have an uh, increased expectancy, or we have an increased desire to encounter Him or to experience Him. And and I know like. You know, we, we had time of, time of like praying for each other. It might not even happen at the end. It might happen during the service. But, but there's times when we invited the Holy Spirit to move and, 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 and He's been like, ble- like blessing people, ministering to, ministering to people. We go, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. Thank you for being here now with us, Jesus. There's an old, um, old Dave Ruth song, a vineyard song. 1992, and it says, it says this let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to seek your face. And this is this is my heart cry and I'm sure it's yours too. This is what we want—to meet with the Lord, to, to seek His face, and, and then, and in that moment, we need to be transformed. But we know we do. <laughs> we need to be transformed, and we and we need to be empowered by Him. And then, then going forth from here, you know, we're to the different situations that you're in, whether it's like you know, going home or going to your flat or going to the supermarket, or going to school, or wherever you live, going out from here to bear fruit. <clears throat> the fruit is for others and we 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 want people to meet jesus we want other to be others to be connected to eternal life. so shall we stand together and we can we can wait on the Lord together. One of the things as I've been uh, like praying, praying this morning and, and thinking about, Lord, what do you want to do? One of the things that I, f- I feel like He's been highlighting is um, it seems like there's been a lot of people passing away lately. A lot of people passing away. And so uh, um, one of the things you know, Jesus promises is that he, you know, blessed, blessed are those who are, who are mourning, for they will be comforted. And so you might know people, you might have, have loved ones that have, that have passed away. And one of the things I think the Lord is wanting to do is actually just, just to comfort you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your invitation to remain in, to remain in you and you remain in us. Or we want to be, be a people that, that know what it means to enter into your rest and at the same time be, um, be about the good works that you've called us to do. That you are inviting us to. So, Holy Spirit, would you would you even move in our midst now? We open up our hands, open up our hearts to you, Jesus.